Welcome to Fair the Inkwell, episode three. Uh, so I was thinking about it. <clears throat> Actually, so I picked up Elden Ring for the PlayStation recently. And right. when I started it, it started with this story about the Elden Ring, and it's been shattered by some god or other. And then there's all this commotion and calamity, and oh my goodness. And I was thinking about that. And it actually reminded me a lot of uh, my wife's cousin. Um, really? Because when... So I, I, uh, I talked with him about writing. And he wanted he very much to share his story with me. So he sent me a sample. And what I read was <laughs> a lot of names and a lot of places that sound really cool, but there was no story. Because it's like, oh, so-and-so met so-and-so at the widow's tree and did such-and-such thing. And, like, there was no story. Like, he was so focused on the gravitas of the name of something. Like, Mm. you're from this race of people that have magic. And you're from this, like, your father did this and that in this war. And, I mean, so, and that actually reminds me now of, um, they do this in Star Trek and, and whatnot, where they reference something that sounds exciting Mm -hmm. and it's like well why don't we get to watch that (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it also got me to thinking about like the different types of storytelling so as um you know my my preferred medium is going to be a print or you know digital book or something like that my preferred medium is going to be a story told on a page and that takes a certain format versus if you're writing something for a video game like Elden Ring, then you can get away with introducing these names of places that are bizarre and things that are bizarre because you're almost immediately thrown into that world in an immersive way where you have to interact with the environment and you have to interact with the thing that they named or that's the end goal is the thing that they, you know, the Elden Ring is the the goal at the end of the game. Hmm. And so it's it's more of an interactive thing, whereas if you're telling a story... And you just throw out there, there was this god with the Elden Ring. And then you launch into your story about the character that's seeking that ring. It's just like, well, what? I mean, you get you get the Lord of the Rings where you have no idea what the point of the ring is. It's the MacGuffin of the story. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you figure it out. But it's like, as like, I don't know. I was thinking about that. And then, and then too, to write for a movie because it's a visual medium. Mm-hmm. It's got to be so much different than writing for the page because if you introduce your reader it, to all these new concepts and these new names that are so foreign and there's no relatable mm-hmm. thing, you're going to lose them right away. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that sounds cool, but why do I care? You know, I had I had actually had the same exact thought because I didn't play Elden Ring, but I watched my son play it, and he played it for weeks and the the game mechanics were awesome the the like the fighting was awesome but and and i could tell that there were hints at like a really rich lore that was there but there wasn't enough for me to grab onto so that i could recognize when i was seeing something that was important there wasn't enough similarity to other stuff that i've already seen i mean i think you do if you're going to write within a genre there does need to be some overlap with stuff that's come before you so that the reader can kind of understand or has a foothold on right. where to, where to approach your world that you're building. 
Right. You know? And I think this happened to me too when I attempted to read one of the books in the Warhammer 40K universe. Mm, yeah. Because I read it and it was just a bunch of place names and people's names and mm. there was nothing happening. It's like it's like, oh, so and so met with so and so and I'm like, I don't know what that's about. Like so as a not like as a novice in that world, no clue. I'm sure that if I were well-versed in the 40k universe that like maybe that would be oh man that was that person holy crap like this is that thing like it mm. might be way more exciting but like i put the book down because i was bored and so i think in order to write a good story and and this might even transcend mediums you have to grab your read your audience immediately with something that they can relate to and then show them all the cool stuff so like, and it was just interesting to me because I think the younger generation, I saw a YouTube video that I didn't watch, but it was something along the lines of why modern movies are bad. And it's mm-hmm. because it's from an older perspective, older person's <laughs> perspective. Um, you're expecting a certain thing. And what's happening is we're having younger writers write for a younger audience. Mm-hmm. So as, as an older person, like, I'm not that old, but <laughs> but coming from a different generation, you know, I think there's something missing that I'm expecting that's not mm-hmm. happening. But the younger audience, like when we watched Thor Love and Thunder, I was just like, this story is awful. Mm-hmm. The characters are stupid and they're doing <laughs> stupid things. And the jokes are like, are dumb drama jokes. Like, yeah. and, and there was very little substance to it. And, and yet, mm-hmm. I think a younger audience absolutely loves it. Well, you you do make a solid point there. I think that once, honestly, I think that probably the movies that we have today and how they were different than when we were kids, at least as far as the writing part goes, has a lot to do with what people who are not writers and not creators had their input. For instance, like like managers and movie theaters uh, saying yeah, we want to be yeah. able to sell more tickets, so you got to make these things more friendly. We have far fewer rated R movies coming out today than we did when you and I were kids. Like every other movie was rated R. True. You know, and and we've completely lost. Like, honestly, I'm a huge fan of the exploitation movies from the 70s. You know, and so I I love them. I I, I watch a lot of movies from the 70s. I mean, probably, uh, uh, you know, so you've got like black exploitation, you've got sex exploitation, but you had. Oh, right, right. Nazi exploitation. You had biker exploitation movies. You had all these movies that had rated R, rated R, that were rated R with no trouble whatsoever. You know? Right, like, right. But but today, even for a movie like Deadpool to come out to be rated R was a big big deal. You know that's that's interesting because I think you're right. I think I, I, it's it's and it's a it's a big shift in in pop culture is what it is because mm-hmm. now the R rating and the and the shock value is because you're discriminating against a group of people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like with Indiana Jones, the Nazis are the bad guy 
But mm. nowadays, it's like, oh, we can't do that because the Nazis have feelings too. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, you know what? I think that you're onto something. And there. Yeah. it was also a horrible point in history, so we can't even talk about it anymore. <laughs> I know. Like, like no, we don't want to bring we, it up. Oh my we God! We can't portray it. Somebody might get triggered in the audience, and we don't want to do that. <laughs> and you know, who knows what'll happen? We'll get sued. Right. Right. Yeah. So everything seems to have to have be this kind of fluffy PG kind of family well, friendly. And they're so fo- focused on the gravitas of the of s- something that has no substance, like the like Iron Man's suit. It's like, oh, mm. what is it capable of? Can it lift Thor's hammer? <laughs> um, and there's no substance behind behind that. It's like, yeah, so what if he can lift Thor's hammer? Yeah, like, and and two, you've lost the meaning of what Thor's hammer is. At that point, it's like, oh, true, only the worthy, like this this item was forged in the heart of a star, and it's like this special artifact, and like you, you've gone from that to Hulk picks it up for a laugh. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, there's just like, you're, you're going for the excitement factor now, and I think that's what we're seeing is a shift in writing from previous decades from literary works which i you know i only more appreciate because of my literary (laughs) degree i don't care for them but i'm starting to understand why they were written the way they're written it's because it's more of a like it's it's more of a story about life rather than a visual novel that's flashy and exciting Mm. so yeah I see your point there. So I was kind of thinking about how that would affect your genre like, and, and affect your writing style. And, and with your pursuit of a podcast, too, mm-hmm. like even that's a different format from the book or the or the uh, or the screen or the video game. And it's just like it's such a. I think podcasting, you, you mentioned podcasting. So let me talk about that for just a second. I actually think that that is one of the along with with regular books. I think podcasting is one of those mediums that are currently kind of like almost under the radar. Everybody knows about it. It's extremely well known, but there's like there's like an ocean of podcasts out there, an ocean of podcasters. Mm-hmm. However, it's still somehow kind of sliding under the radar of things like a rating system and stuff, uh. which which I actually like. Don't get me wrong. I I I honestly don't really care for the rating system that we have right. for movies and right. TV shows. You know, I, mean? I think that we have like, I think that we have too much of, of input into what people shouldn't see for some right. reason. Right. Um, yeah. It's con- the culture of control and without the rating. But I mean, on the other side of things, like if you don't care to watch something that's too violent or mm-hmm. too sexy, like mm-hmm. knowing that that, ha- that something has those elements in it would be nice going ahead, but it should be left for the uh, individual to judge whether or not they want to engage with that content. I think so. Rather than giving it a rating that's like, ooh, this is crazy over the top. Like, yeah. So it's NC-17 and that categorizes it when you could just say, yes, it contains these elements. I mean, it's like saying that it's got flashing lights so that people with, you know, problems with that don't watch it. Yeah. 
So it's also interesting in what people spend money on because let's face it, nobody really wants to write for free. You know, we all want to. We all kind of want to make. <laughs> yeah, but we some, all do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all eventually want to make some money off of what we're doing, right? But if you make a movie that's rated R, that's almost considered to be a, a you know a killer. Like you're going to kill your box office. But if you make a game that is you know like I, I forgot even what the ratings are now, yeah. but like but, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I mean, pretty it's much any... very graphic. Exactly, and that's going to be a fan... You're going to drop money on that game, you know? Right. Like, that's how people right. make money on games. Like Grand Theft Auto and Mortal Kombat, you're right. Like, these are games that that people play and are very well known, you know? Grand Theft Auto was, like, one of the biggest selling games of all time. Right. Well, and that's actually a good... An interesting... From a writer's perspective, Grand Theft Auto is not a game with a... I mean, I haven't played any of the newer stuff. Yeah. I've seen a lot about it. But it seems to me like it's a piecemeal story. So the player engages with points in the story if they want to. Mm-hmm. Like, they can follow the storyline or they can just go out and do whatever. And it seems to me like, you know, I, I only have like 20 minutes on Elden Ring, but it seems to me like Elden Ring is like that as well. Like, there is a main story that you can follow and then you mm-hmm. can end the game. But then you can also just go off and do kind of whatever you want. And it got me thinking about, like, well, anyway, I, I didn't mean to detract from your podcast um, <laughs> train of thought, which I, I think you're 100% right with the podcast, um, because it's a lot like the Wild West of YouTube before mm-hmm. they started cracking down on what was appropriate. Yeah. Like, I, I understand the, they don't want to promote, like, hate mm-hmm. and and, you know, all of those bad things. So how do you defend against that? You know, and, and is that going to happen to the podcast realm? Like mm, that would yeah. be interesting. It will be interesting if people start to regulate podcasts and you have to, but I think the difference kind of is what is your control platform? Like to regulate movies, it was the movie theater was the control point. So all right. movie theaters had to agree to this rating system. And then YouTube, like you mentioned, it's just one platform. So you've got to put, all your videos on this one platform and then they control it's one group controls everything but with podcasting you have a lot of independent creators who for the most part you know there there's people have sponsors and and you know stuff but the majority of podcasters are still independent creators not working for a company and their podcasts get thrown out to like like all kinds of stuff you can you can host your podcast on audible you can post it on uh well uh, 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 oh my gosh! What's the what's the Spotify? Spotify. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, yeah. So you can get you oh, can, and and so that's actually kind of interesting. It makes it sparks a thought that um, that might be like in the publishing world. That might be a lot like self publishing hmm. because when you self publish, you are only beholden to yourself. And if you make a mistake or piss somebody off, then it's going to come back to you not to the publishing company. Yeah. And so, like, that's kind of an interesting thing. So you, in in the podcasting realm, as well as in the self-publishing realm, you are the control point. So what are your values that come across, and how do you control yourself, and what audience do you want to serve when you're doing that? And I think I think that it really just comes down, like, when, you, when it's all said and done, it comes down to money because mm-hmm. a big company is going to pursue something that makes a lot of money that is not a big risk. Whereas a small, like an individual can pursue something that is very risky, 
because they're not making money. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true, you know. That that's absolutely true. And so I think a lot of the best content comes out of that medium where the creator is becoming popular but is still not burdened by the control mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of an interesting <laughs> interesting <laughs> line of thought, but yeah. So we opened this with Elden Ring. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 circle back to Elden Ring real quick because sure. I I did want to say that we we you know I said that it I know that there's lore there but it's too deep and it it's very difficult for somebody who doesn't go around and complete the entire game doesn't hundred percent it to really latch on to exactly what is going on you get little pieces of the lore but I wonder if because my son didn't care about the lore. He cared about the fighting. He cared about generating a cool character. He cared about kind of the game mechanics. And, right. you know, he was like, oh, now I'm going to go fight, you know, this this knight over here, and then I'm going to go fight that that witch lady over there. I'm not getting any of the names right because I didn't actually play the game. <laughs> However, um, you know, he, uh, he cared about that. He cared about how many times he died before he was able to defeat the enemy. And... Uh, that's really all he really didn't care at all yeah. about the story so well and I wonder too like without having played it and I've seen bits and pieces of it um, what like what is the depth of the lore of the game like and, mm-hmm. and that's like what you said like do, that doesn't really matter because when I play video games I too do not approach it for the story personally like I, I read books for my stories, I, mm. you know, but I play video games for the action and the combat and to, to, to be the avatar character that I can't be in real life. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think that's uh, really interesting that your son does the same thing. And that yet there's this game with this really supposedly deep lore behind it mm-hmm. that uh, <laughs> that's probably not, that lore is probably lost on a lot of people that play it. I think it is. I think it is. You know, I, I think that probably a lot of thought and I know that a lot of work on the graphics and stuff went into it because it's just got amazing graphics. Well, and, but and didn't George R.R. R. Martin write did. the story for it or he, something like that? George R.R. R. Martin did write the story for it. So um, approaching this from me, for me, from a new perspective, like going into it with this, I'm going into it with a different mindset of, I do actually want to uncover the lore of it because I'm kind of curious about it because the, the action combat stuff mm-hmm. in that style has been done all, all over the place. So I'm, I, I bought the game because I want to know what makes it special. Mm, yep. And, and again, coming from that, that very first opening scene of, there's all these gods that do all this stuff. And then there's the Elden Ring that, that if you claim it, you're the Lord of the, you know, of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord of the ring. Um, oh, I can't, we can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> but what, why? Like, I don't care, but why? Like, and, and you know, you're not going to find out until the end of the game. And actually probably not even until after you've played through it a couple of times and found all the, random hidden stuff and maybe watched a bunch of stuff on YouTube about other people doing the same thing. Like mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's actually kind of a different way of storytelling. That's true because you're right because it is so open world. The pieces are out there and you have to kind of remember when you see a piece of the puzzle in one area and then that connects to a piece of a puzzle in a completely right. different area. You have to remember like, wait, she just talked this, this character just talked about somebody that I 
killed like you know a week ago and and I need to remember what did that character what were they doing and stuff and you have to put those puzzle pieces together I think that for honestly for guys like you and me like there's the whole community that exists on the internet that does this you know mm-hmm. that's how we get a lot of our information about you know we play the game and then we're at a point where we're like wait this is familiar let me go look it up and you look it up, you're right. like, that's when you realize, like, oh, yeah, I killed that guy. all this other stuff. Exactly. So it also got me thinking about, like, the hero's journey. Um, mm. Because when you read a story, you're reading the hero's journey, you know, from start to end, unless it's a bad book and you've put it down. But for, <laughs> <laughs> for, uh, for a video game, the hero's journey is when you log into the character and then you go kill a bunch of stuff and the end of the hero's journey at that point is when you upgrade your character to be stronger mm. and in i think in most cases in these in in most video games stronger equates to stuff like more equipment mm-hmm. and not necessarily a strength of character because the character has no voice in the game it's like it's just you cruising around doing random things <laughs> like so the character isn't yeah a character i see what you're saying because there are video games that are out there and these are some of my favorite video games i love the uncharted series Mm -hmm. and i love the recent the most recent tomb raider trilogy that came out that was i loved both of those games and i played them all the way through multiple times each one of them so uh they're fantastic but they have they're a purely scripted video game that goes from one scene to another scene that's got a start, uh, it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end of an actual story, you know? So you're more or less like navigating through a movie, but your options and your choices are very limited. Right. However, recently, I went back and I started replaying the original Baldur's Gate uh-huh. that came out and like 20 years ago. <laughs> it came out forever ago. And the graphics are horrible on it, you know? Uh, right. But the options that it gives you are crazy like the the branches and story it's an incredibly long story first off yeah and if you just played the game straight through but the decisions that you make in this in the in the in the uh the trees that you get when you or that you're building when you're when you're communicating with other npcs and stuff and the those kind of choices that in 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 communication and discussion with other npcs lead you down a path of either being good, being evil, being neutral. They open opportunities or they close doors. And once those are done, once you've made those decisions, you can't unmake them. Right. And um, Unless I, you start a new game. Exactly. <laughs> I remember I found a belt once, like way back. This is the, the, I will never forget this. When I played this game originally, like I said, when it first came out, way back on a computer that was just, I can't even, I, anyway, um, <laughs> I found a belt that changed me from being a guy character into a girl character, and the belt only worked once. And, you know, you didn't know this. It was a cursed belt. And so you put on the belt thinking, oh, I'm going to get some cool stats, but it's cursed, and it changes your sex. And then it, you can't take it off and put it back on again. It doesn't work again. Once the curse is done, you're just cursed forever for the entire rest of the game. <laughs> I mean, you don't have stuff like that in, in games anymore. Right, right. Like, like it, and I wonder why it disappeared. I wonder why 
Well, I, I think, it, I, you know, I think it's an unfortunate cause of uh, capitalism because, mm. I mean, you know, as you were describing that, I was thinking, like, what does it take to write that story? Oh, and man. you have to start at the, you know, inception of the character and then you have to write two stories and then four and then eight. Like you have to every branching choice. Mm-hmm. And I know that in modern video games, they they mask that you have the choice like they think they make you think you have a choice but it it railroads you into a certain place anyway right um just so that they can get out of having to write Mm. a thousand different stories i'm just picturing what the for Baldur's gate just for all those decision trees that you make on on killing somebody or letting them live or asking someone to join your party or rejecting them or robbing somebody or befriending them i'm picturing the writer's room of just like note cards attached to walls and like crazy amounts of arrows. It would be be like the, the, is it the Norns that weave the tapestry of fate? (laughs) Oh yeah. It would be that. I mean, you're just like, you've got this web of, of storylines that have to be resolved because, Mm -hmm. you know, video game players always push the limits. And so, you know, if you leave something unfinished, they're going to find it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think that games like Fallout, the, Fall, the Fallout series and uh, Skyrim kind of try to do that, but they don't right. come anywhere near the level of what Baldur's Gate had, right. you know? Well, um, and I think, like, since it was a simpler game, it might have been easier to code and then it left more resources for the writers. Yeah, the graphics and, are And atrocious. because, again, like... If you don't, if you're not, you're not going to write for free. Mm. And so if you have to write a thousand stories, they're either going to be a thousand crap stories or you're not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, it, it does kind of sort of seem like we had this, like we had this, this moment where video games came out in the eighties and they were, you know, by today's standards, they were just nothing. I mean, it was two tanks fighting each other in a maze, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then, then we started going into a, to the of climbing this mountain of of people writing excellent stories for video games and applying like all these writers concepts to it and like you said the you know like the hero's journey like you've got the hero and you're going to be the hero and you're going to go on this massive journey and by the end of it you're going to be emotionally exhausted right <laughs> but then we peaked you know and now we've we're coming back down the other side of the mountain where we're you know everything is the same and everybody's experience is the same and well, you know, you want everybody to be either the everybody wants to wind up being the good guy, even if you make horrible decisions and choices. So, well, and I wonder if that too reflects a widening audience too, because um, I mean, if you think about it, the early like early video games were not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, not not just because of the difficulty, but because of the technology behind them. Like, not everybody knew how to run, like load up a video game on a computer, like stick a disc in the drive and then call up this command and run this file like you know not not everybody could do it and then the controls to play them were not intuitive you had to read how to like you had to read the manual to how to how do you do this and how do you do that and so i think they were less accessible and so now that we have wider audiences we're we're catering towards more general tastes Mm -hmm. and unfortunately those tastes are not as like don't have the depth that some of the older stuff did but yeah, well, that's that generalization that we were just talking about with movies too. Yeah. How people want to sell more tickets, you know, it's it's a business decision to to be able to put more seats or more people in the seats, and you're not going to get that with the current rating system. If you get an R movie, then you know, well, I, I although Deadpool, to be honest with you, 
succeeded where everyone, I personally thought it would, it was going to be awesome and succeed. I saw it four times in the movie theater <laughs> with different people that I just kept pulling in off the street being like, you got to see this movie. Let's go. <laughs> and, but, but you know, like most people in the industry thought that Deadpool was totally going to fail a superhero movie that's rated right, R. Right. No way, no way, you know? Um, well, I wonder if that too is because like from what I recall of that movie, it did not focus overly much on the visuals. Like it did have some flashy scenes, <clears throat> excuse me. But um, beyond that, it was more of a story of, this man who's been disfigured with the, you know, and then trying to save the love of his life. Like, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's more of a relatable story. And then it's done like it's filmed. Well, not, you know, it's not astounding. It's not astonishing with the visual, you know, the, the CG Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) Well, you know what? We should actually talk about the fact that Deadpool didn't come from nothing, by the way, Ryan Reynolds didn't create Deadpool. Deadpool had been around for, 30 years right. at the point that they made a movie about him. So there were there was a writer that sat down one day and created Deadpool. And then some an artist that came along and and said, Oh, I know what this concept looks like. And so right. he, he wrote it and the writer created the dialogue and the story. Well and so that's actually another interesting point because Deadpool, like I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, like Deadpool has a universe that he lives mm-hmm. in and the way the movie was written, you are introduced to every element that you need to know about to enjoy the movie. And you're introduced to it pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like you're throwing out these, like, the Grand you know, the grand Inquisitor, what's his name, is <laughs> off to the races to do whatever. And it's just like, I don't care. Yeah. It's like you're, you're given this immediate emotional connection with him and his girlfriend. Then you're given his, um, you know, the problem that causes his his life to change directions. And then he, he's got this other trajectory that we, most of us can relate to Mm -hmm. like, and so I think that's why it succeeded because even though it had that 30 years of lore, which I mean, the Warhammer universe probably has about that too, which I'm sure is very fascinating, but it's, it's so dense that any story that takes place into in it, you either have to have been initiated into that universe already or, you know, the writing's going to end up like the book that I read, and I'm just not going to be interested. <laughs> well, so I'm actually a 40K fan, but I actually agree with you 100%. I avoid, so there's there's two kinds of books. So first off, there's been like hundreds of writers, thousands maybe, <laughs> that have produced uh, work for, I don't know how Warhammer 40K pays all these writers, but they have just an army of writers. and But they have basically two types of books. One that does kind of progress the the known lore of people that are in charge and you've got the emperor and you've got all these other things and then you've got smaller stories which are basically just like one planet that is comes under an alien invasion and it's just a a small cast and then it's not this big galactic kind of soap opera but it's it's a story of just one small group of people trying to survive something and that's actually those are the ones that i like i although Sometimes it trips over itself. Um, I I've read there there's okay so there's the concept of the elf in World Warhammer 40k, but the elf is actually an alien that's an Eldar, and the Eldar are broken up into different. I don't think they like to be called that anymore. <laughs> that's a non PC name, but the Eldar have this 
have this uh, group of people in them that are, are called rangers or outcasts, and they're supposed to be the science fiction equivalent of the fantasy genre ranger, right? So I was super stoked about reading these books. I wanted it to be amazing and was horribly disappointed, <laughs> horribly disappointed. Uh, um, and there were aspects of it that I think were cool. The, you know, like the Eldar tend to gravitate on these massive kind of uh, ships that are really all that's left of their civilization. So they pretty much, pretty much the whole, the whole uh, civilization now reside on these spaceships that are just kind of scattered around the galaxy. But, uh, and rangers uh, reject living on these spaceships and they kind of take smaller ships and they go off and they explore and they meet, you know, new races and, and that kind of stuff. And then they kind of, they're still welcome back. So they bring back all of this intelligence of, Hey, here's who's around you right now. And you know, who you can trade with and stuff. So I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, but, but the, the book that I read, the, I think it was called uh, way of the outcast. I'm not exactly sure now. Um, First off, I had to read two other books to get to this book <laughs> because it was part three of a trilogy, and the first two parts had nothing to do with Ranger whatsoever. So I had to read two other books that I really didn't care too much about, Way of the Warrior and Way of something, until I could get to the uh, to the Way of the Outcast. And then I was, like, so excited. I read it, and it was the worst out of three. <laughs> it was like I read two books that I didn't care about to get to a book that I really didn't like. Oh, <laughs> you know? that's a bummer. I know, I know, man, uh, because the ranger kind of went off the deep end. He started off pretty good. He was an outcast, but then he kind of went off the deep end and became, like, a pirate, and then, then he went even further and almost became, like, a dark elf kind of thing, you know? Huh. It's, it's oh, man. It's, they just it's, took it way too far. Exactly. Like, I wanted to read about the a ranger's experience, you know? Right. Exploring the unknown, living off in the wilderness, being self-sufficient, you being know? Being a space elf. Exactly. I want to read Space <laughs> Elf. I, I did not get Space Elf. That is not what, I, what was delivered. Um, <laughs> Instead, you got a Space Joker. Exactly. So, <laughs> oh man, disappointing. Uh, I think that I think that 40k has a lot of really cool stuff in it, but like I said, I I, I tend to gravitate more towards those novels that are just kind of on the much smaller right. scale. Yeah, you got to chip away at the lore until you actually understand everything, and then you can read all the good ones. Exactly. All those so-called good ones. Yeah. But anyway, I think we've droned on for all of some time, so that's. We Pretty probably ought to cut it, <laughs> cut it off. All right. Hopefully our sound is much improved. And if this gets published and we have actual listeners out there in the world, let us know what you think. And thank okay. you for listening. All right. Goodbye. <laughs>